0: Welcome to the Marvelous Synergy podcast, a podcast all about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm your host, Andy Tai, writer of several guides to the MCU, which are also called Marvelous Synergy. This episode will focus on the third film of the franchise, Iron Man 2. Joining me today is sydney based filmmaker, Therese Chen. Hi. Hi, Therese. How are you doing today?
1: Yeah, I'm doing great. So this is going to be a lot of fun.
0: Now, you started off as a editor. Uh, and now you're shifting to directing and producing. In fact, I worked with you on a short film recently called a Stage. Do you want to tell people about that?
1: Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so that was um actually one of my few one of my first directing things gigs I did. So how I got this was, um there was a program called CyberConnect, and they were looking for people to pitch their ideas um basically anything that was based from Fairfield or from creators that are based in the Fairfield or Western Sydney region. And yeah, my um, the idea behind this shot is, I am a person that loves martial arts and the martial arts action genre, but I also love theater. So I wanted to find a fun way to actually combine the two. So I did that with these two characters, one who is Brian. Um, he's a martial artist who thinks he's auditioning for this big action blockbuster, but realizes that he somehow ended up in addition for musical theater instead. And this, we meet all these other amazing characters from that, and so yeah, it was a lot of fun. And yeah, I have to thank you because you're one of the main actors in this as well. Gonna plug that, and but you'll be able to <laughs> <laughs> you'll be able to find it on, on my YouTube channel TC Talk, and also on the Super Connect um, Facebook page as well. So so yeah,
0: wonderful. You now everyone, do check that out. All right, as I've said, this episode will focus on Iron Man Two. Now, Iron Man 2 came out uh, in 2010, and John Favreau returned to direct along with most of the cast, such as Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow, and uh, yeah, and they're joined by a whole cast of new characters as well. Now, when this film was released, it like the Incredible Hulk before it, really. It it didn't quite reach the same heights as the first Iron Man film. And myself, I remember walking out of the theater. I was very excited about all the Easter eggs that were in the film and the future of the MCU, but the film itself I wasn't such a big fan of. Do you feel the same way, Therese?
1: I think around this time, this was when Robert Downey Jr. was starting to get back back on his feet in terms of acting. So, yeah, so funny enough for me, I guess the reason why I have a different take on this than you do is because this was actually my first, not only what I saw this before Iron Man 1, um, this was actually – my first introduction to the cinema, Marvel Cinematic Universe as it stands, as well, and well for one, it just makes me nostalgic about going to the theaters again. But also, I just rem- I went with this with no expectations, so I think with almost with any movie that helps a lot. And I just wanted to hear for well to see possibly shake it blown up
0: mm. Mm.
1: and to have a good time. Which for me, you know, that was that you know mission accomplished. So yeah, I can understand if it's not everybody's favorite. It still has a place in my heart, though.
0: Right. no, fair enough. I mean, for me, I certainly, look, I enjoyed the film, don't get me wrong, and it's not a bad film per se. I guess it just didn't quite live up to the same uh, heights as the first film, right? I mean, it repeats a lot of what made the first film so successful. We've got Tony Stark, who's very snarky still, you know, even even though he has revealed his secret identity. We have a big sequence where Tony Stark is inventing something. So in the first film, it was the Iron Man suit. And in this film, it's him having to uh, basically work out how to create this new element. And then, of course, you've got the repetition of ACDC, you know, that as Tony's theme. Um, So this film opens with uh, shoot to thrill. Mm. And I I guess in that sense, it it doesn't feel as fresh. There's a lot of repetition. And and so, I don't know, maybe people just, they they expect it a bit more, I guess. Mm. And yeah. uh this film it, it, it does set mm. Well I, yeah, that happens with a lot of sequels. Mm, mm. I mean also I think more so with this one because this one's this one being the third film and it, it basically not only does it follow up Iron Man One, but it's also setting up a whole bunch of other films, right? So you've got the tag scene with the hammer and, and setting up Thor, you've got the introduction of Black Widow, you've got mm-hmm. Nick Fury, and this yeah. did you uh did you see the shield? uh Captain America's shield. Yeah, no, the prototype, yeah, no, the prototype Captain America shield does make another appearance in this film.
1: Oh, good. I don't sound like such a new. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it appeared in the first film as well. But yeah, look, it, it, it it's this this sort of this film was a, you know, it it's seeing it now in the context of the whole Marvel cinematic universe, I can see it's a lot stronger. But at the time, I think if you watch it in isolation, it it just isn't as strong as a film given how much it's it's doing.
1: Yeah, this is I think a lot of I think a lot of writers make this mistake where they think, yeah, I know it doesn't make sense, but there'll be a payoff later. And it's mm. like getting this is this is just like lost all over again. Don't keep your yeah, if you keep doing that to your readers, they're gonna get they they will eventually get pissed off if you're just giving them stuff without the you know, the satisfaction and just thinking that you don't have to answer most of the questions in the movie as a standalone. Well honestly, as a filmmaker and a storyteller too, I think you should mm. like you sh- i mean as much as it is part of a set and a universe um the movies each movie should be able to have something that makes it stand on its own and have that watchability as well so so yeah i can totally see that from a
0: creative perspective i guess no that's a good point that's a, a very good point there now with this sequel we have don cheadle uh replacing terence howard in the role of Roddy. Uh, I do believe the, the reason for that was over like a contractual or, or pay dispute. How do you feel about this change? Do you do you prefer Terence Howard or do you like Don Cheeto's performance? Uh
1: I mean, I, w- I saw him first. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. A bit biased there I see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So 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 yeah. So I mean I found the interaction in this movie to be very fun. Mm, you, mm. I, I can the chemistry for, for me worked well well enough, so so yeah, I guess I didn't have any complaints there. Um, I think maybe I don't think he should have sold. Maybe people should, he didn't do the right thing by you know trying to test the suits and all that stuff. I, I know I'm butchering the storyline, but that's effectively what he does because he thinks he's doing the right thing, even though it ends up I guess you can say
0: backfiring.
1: But yeah, I found his character to be um, quite enjoyable, and I think the actor did a good job.
0: Hmm. I must say, for me as a as a comic book reader, you know, I of I. I look at, when I picture Rody in my head, I always think Terence Howard, and not so much the actor, but the, the way the character looks, right? I feel as though Howard is a closer match. Um, in saying that, you know, Don Cheadle, the way they introduced him to the film, I love it when he walks into um, the uh, the Senate hearing, and Tony's like, oh, no, I didn't expect to see you here, and Rody's like, no, it's me, I'm here, you know, deal with it. I thought that was a quite a nice way to handle that transition, uh, so, in in terms of you know switching acts, so they
1: didn't they didn't they didn't do the break the fourth wall like they do it um you know the mummy
0: series no <laughs> they didn't go that yeah far. so no no breaking the fourth wall <laughs> kind of thing but you know the, the fact that they that they were willing to even acknowledge it in some small way you know I thought that was quite clever and smart yeah <laughs> I guess that's true. Now with the sequel we. Get uh, 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 as I said before, uh, the introduction of a lot more characters, and uh, we actually get two villains in this film. One in the form of Ivan Vanko or Whiplash, and the other in Justin Hammer. Let's start off with Ivan Vanko. Um, he seems to exemplify the the film's theme of legacy. Do you think he was an effective villain?
1: I I think so. I mean, I guess in right off the bat, you kind of see what he, you can see what his motivation was. I mean, granted, you don't really get, I guess, obviously, he's not the most multi-dimensional character Mm. in the whole MCU. I mean, he's there to be the bad guy. But I guess you can see that, you know, he did care about his dad and seeing anybody who's had a parent that they care for, when you see them, you know, deteriorate, it's not a fun sight to see. So for me, when he sees his dad and he's kind of, I guess he's drunk and alcoholic and he passed. Yeah, he's not in a good space. And to see your parents do that, I I can yeah, that that moment hit me, honestly, on some low ones like, oh, I can understand. As much, you know, as I don't like what he did afterwards, because you know, he's just he's being the villain. He's being the villain and a villain's gonna villain. But at least for me it was enough. And yeah, to see that I I guess so for me, he did he did Mm. the job. Mm. I don't know whether or not I would go with the name Whiplash. I don't know if that's a villainous name, but I guess that's another topic entirely. I probably told him maybe he could have thought about it a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> At least it makes sense.
0: I mean, to be fair, look, the, the character isn't actually referred to as Whiplash in the film, right? So that that that's something you know that's just from the comic book. Yes,
1: that that is true. That's that that is true.
0: But going back to your point of Whiplash being sort of uh, a somewhat simplistic villain in this film, my understanding is Mickey Rock, when he was hired, you know, he did try and make the character multi-dimensional. So I don't know if you know this, but he actually went to a Russian prison um, to do some research. He met up with some former inmates, got uh, got them to explain, you know, what what these various tattoos mean, and that's why you see his character decked out in all those tattoos. Uh, he paid for that, uh, I believe, the the gold teeth uh, you see the character have, and wow, yeah. So he he went to a lot of effort, and uh, I th- well, props to him. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He did a really good job there. It's just unfortunate that I think. Marvel somewhere on the long the lines either changed their mind or they cut a lot of the scenes out and and we know that there are a lot of deleted scenes from this film,
1: yeah, that would not yeah, that would not be the first time mm. that that would have happened unfortunately, but at the very least, much respect for the the character to putting in the putting in the work to make his character shine as much as he could have. Mm. Mm. you don't get you don't get many actors that do the same have that sort of dedication,
0: I think that's right, yeah, it's just. Such a shame that he, I mean, look, you look in the film, he only really has two scenes with Tony as well, right? So he's got, you've got obviously the racetrack thing, but then they, they have the a proper conversation when Vanko is being held uh, in the Monaco prison mm. and then they meet again for the, the final fight. And I just feel as though there, there needs to be, there should have been more between the two characters for, for their, their, for the antagonism to be more effective, yeah. It was just, uh, yeah, unfortunate there.
1: <laughs> yeah, do you think it's because they were juggling two villains in this movie, and that and then that makes it a lot more harder to do that?
0: Yeah, I, I certainly think that was a reason, uh, a part of the reason. Yeah, I don't know. Simply because, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about uh, Justin Hammer momentarily, but yeah, but both both characters on paper, I think, had a lot of promise. Mm. You know, v- Vanko is is a. Very different character to the Iron Monger or, or Obadiah Stane from the first film. Yes, and I quite liked. I mean, you saw it in the Monaco fight. You know, him using those sort of electrified whips. That that visual was quite, quite, uh, quite interesting. It stood out. It was very different. It wasn't just another like a, another man in a giant mech suit. Mm. So I was just a bit uh, disappointed that they didn't really lean into that and take advantage of that imagery a bit more. Mm. So moving on to Justin Hammer now. Justin Hammer is a rival weapons manufacturer, and is played by Sam Rockwell, who Favreau actually considered for Tony Stark in the first film. And one of the things I love about the character is how funny he is. You know, Justin Hammer, he's got all these witty lines. Uh, He's he's clearly trying to keep up with Stark or trying to get onto his level, but he's always just that, that little step behind. And I think if I had to pick one of the villains to have in the film, I would, I think, keep Justin Hammer more, simply because he's so much more entertaining, mm. even though physically, right? He's not the actual physical thing. Yeah. He's more of a sort of this... He's a brain yeah, he, He's very, you know, he's just a nuisance for Tony in a sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I think so too. It's like, yeah, trying to see what his, what his game is just makes him know a lot more as you said it was much more entertaining but yeah hearing this is the first time I heard that he was actually considered for for the role of Tony Stark and it's hard for me to imagine honestly because he I think he played he probably plays the villain much better I I think it was probably the better choice for for both of them honestly so I think he did a really really really
0: good job I mean certainly comparing it to Robert Downey Jr's performance right I think that Robert Downey Jr. is so good in the role, it's very hard to imagine anyone else in the character. You can see that Sam Rockwell does have the acting chops to go toe to Tony. There's that banter between the two characters, right? And yeah. you can sort of see strains of Tony Stark within Justin Hammer, mm-hmm. right? They're both sort of, you know, egocentric. They both like to show off, that sort of thing. Mm.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't know if I have anything more to add to that. <laughs> so. Yeah, that you say that. You know, I I, I agree. So mm. there, there's there's yeah. potential there, but you know, I just can't see him as anymore. Anybody else by Hammer too. Mm. So so
0: yeah. Well, another character we get introduced to in this film is the Black Widow played by Scarlett Johansson. Now, she is obviously undercover for the for, for a lot of the film, right? She's uh she's she's undercover at Stark Industries to keep an eye on Tony. But then we see her come into her own at the end in a very interesting fight sequence, you know? I think it's impressive that she, it's, it's her against all these hammer goons and, and she can just single-handedly take them down. But one of the things that I was very disappointed about is the fact that that whole sequence, while well, I was meant to show off the character, it was edited in a very choppy manner and I, I don't think it did Johansson any favours. Uh, in terms of an introduction what are your thoughts on that sequence
1: well yeah yeah well as someone who loves action movies and fight sequences yeah I agree with you I mean it's I I have to say that after re-watching it it's not the worst fight scene that I've seen because I can still act I can watch it without having a headache Mm. yeah so as someone who cares a lot about fight sequences and action stuff yeah I was yeah curious about this fight scene when I saw it again and I have to say um props for them for actually allowing you to see what was going on so you're not you're not left with a headache because of all the shaky cam movements which seems to be at least at the time the in thing with um Jason Bourne and Taken and all that stuff but it yeah the moves there were a lot of cuts if you count um, if you do account then you can see a lot and it doesn't probably doesn't showcase all the training that. Uh, Scarlett Johansson did and I did hear that you know she trained probably almost every day for oh, what six six hours a week so it's not like she didn't want to do it but unfortunately this is another case of where you know editing and fight coordination all these things can get in the way um, but for me I think this also speaks to another issue is if you just leave the character as flawless then you're left with no tension. And one of the things that I think is really important and for writers to remember is you have to make sure that you make the audience care. And one of the, re- how you do that is you make the risk and the danger really real. So it's interesting. I mean, um, you can probably, you could bring gender into this, but it is interesting for me that you can see, you know, characters like Tony Stark and and Rady get beaten up and endangered when Scarlet Um. A black widow. Well, not because they wanted to show off. That's their way of showing off how bad she is. It's a very Western way of showing female f- feminist empowerment. That's that's one of the observations that I've been seeing for for quite a while. And all those poses, which yeah, I know it's for for movie for movie magic purposes, but you probably wouldn't be doing that in real life. You probably wouldn't leave your hair out either. But I guess that's another issue. And I don't know how well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we can. <laughs> so much as we talk about you know costuming and everything, and whether or not her clothing is too tight and stuff like that. I mean, I as someone who's watched action movies for quite a while, it's definitely not the worst I've seen because I've seen women in stuff which is much more nonsensical and high heels and stuff. So you know, on that front, it's not as bad. But I, yeah, I can understand why you would think that it was, I guess, lackluster, if nothing else.
0: mm Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the action that action sequence being a bit lackluster isn't sort of exclusive to to that portion of the film. Like I felt the um fight with Ivan Vanko in in Monaco as well, that was very short, mm. right? That that almost finished <laughs> once it started and I was like, "What? That that's it? That's all I get?" Yeah. Um and it's and it's like that and the the sequence at the end as well when you got Tony and Rhodey up against all the drones. I'm like, "It's good, but" It's not the greatest action scene they've done, and it's just not as memorable as it should have been. Especially because it's it's the last last third of the film. It's the final hurrah, so to speak. Mm. Uh, and then, yeah, I don't know. There's just there a lot of this film to me. Has, you know, there are good ideas, but then they just don't quite execute them in the way that you would like them to.
1: Yeah, I guess you can feel probably sense that you know they they kind of just making this because they knew they could make the money. I mean, maybe a lot of Marvel movies are like this, most, especially for sequels. They're kind of just banking people to watch it for, for the character or nostalgic value because they like the first, the first movie set. this. Is, yeah, if it's the same thing, they'll like it too. Mm, mm. For the final five scene, it was very, very short. There could be a lot of reasons. Maybe they just thought that that was, that was enough. Um, I don't know. I, I guess for, for me, Tony Stark is one of the MCU superheroes where, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, where he doesn't actually have any superpowers, except for his mind and his intelligence, right? Mm, mm-hmm. Like he's not born with anything; he wasn't granted anything through some radioactive accident or anything. So it would be cool just to see that come to play, just because as... he is a very intelligent character when he's not being snarky. But when it's just all smash and you know blowing things up, you don't really get to see see it, which is kind of a kind of change. And often that's probably why a lot of the final fights into the big bad come off you know very underwhelming. It's for one you don't is usually for one you don't build the bad character up enough.
0: Mm, mm.
1: Or just for some stuff like this where you just feel like you know just one big flash will be will be enough. And yeah, it's not. You know, it's just how the way things go, I guess. Maybe they're all banking on, you know what, Tony Stark will have his hero moment in Endgame and all that stuff. Just wait until then. We promise.
0: well i'm not too sure they were thinking that far ahead right but i know for a fact that the the ending that we saw in theaters that's not the original ending that they planned so if if you look on the you know the special features the original ending yes you have the drone fight but after that what it was is vanko he's not in a giant mech suit he's he's just got his sort of the the regular whips and he's you know he holds pepper potts um, hostage Tony goes her and, and and rescues her and if I recall correctly Favreau felt that you know there needed to be a big fight scene between Vanko and Iron Man and so he got a bit more money to you know extend the the final confrontation and that's why we have Vanko in that giant whiplash mech suit sort of thing and uh, I guess money well yes they got money but they didn't get that much more money and so that's why that fight was a bit short in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of chopping and changing uh, th- throughout the film. And I guess, you know, it seems as though Marvel certainly wanted one thing and Jon Favreau wanted another. And, and because of the, you know, how long they had to make the film, obviously they're trying to meet deadlines. I guess there was just a, a lot of compromising done <laughs> um, to the detriment of the final product, It it seems.
1: Yeah, that's that's yeah. I think maybe that's a case of too many cooks spoiling the broth. I guess, or lots of people in the higher ups having very different ideas of what they want. Sometimes you end up with nobody really winning out in in the end of the day. But yeah, the original so the original idea was a lot more. He wasn't macked up. That's right. That's right. I think that probably would have played better depending on how what the dialogue and all that stuff. Because it may have been much more of a psychological battle, which may have played out more more interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't recall the, the actual dialogue itself. It wasn't so much a psychological battle per se. It was just, you know, I, I, I guess you just had to have some sort of confrontation between Ivan Vanko and Iron Man in the end, right? Because he is meant to be the central villain of the film. Mm. And I guess that Favreau, went, went, yes, he had that scene, but he felt that it could have been a lot, the confrontation at least could have been a lot stronger. And I, I agree in that sense. I just, I just don't find the execution of the actual execution to be, yeah, yeah, to be to just that kind right. of, yeah, that's
1: just blast each other, yeah.
0: Mm,
1: mm. I don't know. I mean, I guess that's just that's just where the executive producers or whoever whoever is responsible. That's how it goes, I guess. But I guess it's always a lesson learned for people that are making stuff to see what you know what could be improved upon from stuff that's there already. Mm. So, but yeah, have have final battles with tension and meaning. I guess, is the takeaway from that, you know, give a reason for the character, for, for audience to care and to root for the thing. And not to just, I mean, you can, I know it's a superhero movie, but still give them reason to, you know, to care and to not always be a given that the good good guy wins in a day. I think that always, I think always helps. Mm. It helps mm. keep people good. They seem to keep them wondering, because you don't want it to, you don't want the victory to be too easy. And maybe that was a big issue for this too. It just felt like there wasn't much of a, um there wasn't. It was just a given and wasn't wasn't earned. Mm, mm. That happens quite a bit, especially when stuff like this.
0: Given that this was the first MCU film that you saw, I'm curious as to how much awareness you had of the actual franchise at this point. Did you did you know that they were sort of trying to connect all these films together? Did you understand the Easter eggs as they appeared on screen? Um, honestly, no. <laughs> 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 to be to to be
1: quite honest, so this was just. You mean, and honestly, the reason why I was watching it is because, yeah, because my friends wanted to. So that kind of, I'm literally watching it. Uh, I remember when I watched it the first time, slipped over my head and I didn't realize who Nick Fury was or the role that Black Widow would come to, at least not until later. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that it was the same character, but she changed her hair. You know, it's like, oh, oh, she's back. Oh, this is what I've been missing. I have a lot to catch up on. I have quite a few movies to catch up on if I want to get right in, into it. And, yeah, so it is kind of funny when I think about it because as far as I Man is concerned, um, I, I think at the time my knowledge extended to the song that, what was it, Black Sabbath? The Black Sabbath song, yes,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah yep.
1: That was that was it. I knew that he he had a suit because that was his name. And I, get, I after that, I did see, like, there was a TV series with him too. But, yeah, I guess... The cartoon, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As far as me, and was when I was a kid, the stuff that I watched was X-Men because that was
0: what was playing at the time. When you saw things like Thor's Hammer and the prototype Captain America shield, were those things that made you want to see sort of, sort of future films like Thor and, and Captain America, the first Avenger? Or were they things that sort of just sort of made you go, hmm, that's interesting, but you didn't quite know what to make of them?
1: To be quite honest, uh, I didn't quite get what that what that meant
0: hmm. there's
1: only oh like if i read up later then it's like oh okay so they are setting up for something bigger yeah but at the time though no, i just kind of thought oh they're they're just doing some there's some more interesting stuff that you can see because they they, they look cool guess if that means anything it means that even someone who's not familiar with the series can still enjoy it and that's not necessarily a bad thing because it, yeah you're not dependent on watching all the other things
0: that's true that's a good thing that's a good thing
1: so yeah, I guess on the the whole notion
0: of you know
1: sequences and stuff. Do you knowledge? Um, do you know if there's like a whole uncut version of the movie where you get to get to see all the things that were removed from the theatrical release?
0: Mm, no, I don't believe Marvel Marvel really released sort of director's cuts or extended cuts of any of their films. Uh, all the deleted scenes that I've seen and, and know of come from all the various special features on the film. So obviously, you know, Iron Man two that, that had a few there and when they released a phase box set, you know, when they collect each of the films in the phases, they'll, you know, have include a, a bonus disc and, and, and put a few more on there. So it was quite interesting to sort of hunt them down and see what they did change and cut out. Uh, it's yeah, there were there were lots of extended scenes, lots of alternate scenes. So it's quite interesting to know that there was a lot of chopping and changing going out throughout the whole process. All right, with that, we've run out of time. Thank you very much, Therese, for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. That was a lot of fun. Please like or follow the Marvelous Synergy Facebook, Instagram and Tumblr pages and subscribe to this podcast to hear future episodes. If you want to learn more about the MCU, you can always find my guides to the films on Amazon. And with that, I'll be signing off. Thank you very much for tuning in.